Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the show. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor, Dean Breyer. He is the author of the book, The Soft Initiative and Fallout, Sect of the Hill Chronicles. And I'm so excited to talk to him today. If you follow the show, you know we talked to him a couple of years ago when we first brought out his first book simply called The Soft Initiative. And for those of you who need a refresher course, the soft initiative means sex of the healed. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support of PJC Media and The Right Stuff. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help us financially, simply go to patreon.com slash right stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. And now, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest co-host, Dean Breyer. Dean, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great. I'm so glad to be back on the show. And after all the COVID delays, be able to release and talk about book two. I am glad to have you back on the show as well. You know how much I enjoyed your first book in the Sect of the Hill Chronicles, simply called The Soft Initiative. And now we're going to be talking about the second book called Fallout. And I want to definitely thank my good friend, Peter Young Husband, who is on my review advisory board for recommending me that we talk to you about this book again. For those of you who don't know, Peter Young Husband is the owner and creator of the award-winning Christian fiction blog simply called Perspective by Peter. Follow him on PerspectiveByPeter.com. So I want to get into what's been going on since the last time we talked. What happened? Because 2020 really did a number on a lot of people. Yes, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, I'm in the medical device business. And uh, when COVID hit, all of the hospitals and doctors shut down. And so we were without a job, without a home, uh, without an income. And it was just a scary time. But of course, we knew that God was with us. And we knew that there would be something that would happen. So we pivoted into COVID testing and um, began to make a living doing that, helping people know whether they're sick or not and stay safe during the pandemic. But it also gave me the time to work on the books and prepare them for publication because I just finished book two, but again, didn't have the money or time to uh, put into getting it ready and getting it published. Isn't it amazing how no matter what happens in life, we can always lean on the Lord You just said no home, no job, no money. And yet here you are two years later, home, job, money, maybe not making what you want to make, but you do have your daily bread. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I hope we can encourage someone out there who may be experiencing the same thing, that with Christ, the trials of the world cannot overwhelm you. So I'm really excited that you shared that part of your history with us. 
when we talked the last time, we were talking about your books, the Soft Initiative. And I want people to know what the Soft Initiative is about and what do we mean by sect of the healed? Well, think about the people that Jesus healed. He healed thousands of people. And I, the thought occurred to me, what if those people, well, of course, they had children, but what if they, when they were healed by Jesus, he changed their DNA in some miraculous way, their DNA was changed and they passed that DNA change down to their families and their children had special gifts and talents. And those children used those talents and gifts to help birth the early church. And then as they grew, they began to collect all the artifacts of the Christian faith and hold them and protect them until the time God would reveal them to share those with the world. So the sect of the healed became the name of the, these relatives of the people that Jesus healed. So the short name for sect of the healed is sought, sect of the healed. So through the centuries, they uh, used their gifts and talents to grow the church. They also used those gifts and talents to collect and protect all the famous artifacts that people were waiting to see. Now, today, in today's world, the soft members are going to use a software hack that allows them to share all of those artifacts, everybody in the world at the same time. And that's the initiative. The soft initiative is to share the truth of the Christian faith with the world using these artifacts and archaeological finds. You briefly talk about it in the first book. Do you expand on what these artifacts are in the second book? Yes, they are. Uh, and we continue to expand on the different things. There are really exciting things that my imagination came up with. I came up with the, the lost journal of, Joseph, of, of uh, Pontius Pilate. We go back and we take a play on this section in the Bible where his wife tells him not to persecute Jesus. So we take that, that truth in the Bible and we have some fun with it. And we talk about how a servant of Pontius Pilate got saved through a healing Jesus did. And then he witnessed to his wife. His wife actually made a commitment to Christ. And that's why in the Bible, she tells him to leave Jesus alone, because she secretly has come to faith in him. Well, then we go back to the reality, because Pontius Pilate was exiled by Rome and did commit suicide. Well, before he committed suicide, he gave his last journal to his wife, and she gave that to the slave, and he passed that down through the centuries to his family. And so that's one of the new relics. We have Josephus' lost book, and in Josephus' book, he goes into detail about this group of Jewish people that called themselves Christians and this group of Christian people that had these healings that were done by this person called Jesus. So we use Josephus's language, which we got from his book, to describe this new group that he had met and how kind and encouraging and welcoming they were. So we keep doing things like that. We have the cross nail that Jesus was held up, even the tiny little nail that held the declaration of his kingship above him. We have the post, which was cut into 12 pieces and given to each of the apostles to keep down through the century. So we just have a lot of fun with the stuff that, um, you know, we don't just have the cup of Jesus. We have the plate that was, uh, that was used for the, uh, the Last Supper. So a lot and a lot more, a lot more of those kind of things um, that people will enjoy. And my whole goal of books, I want people to say, what if? Is that true? Maybe I need to Google search that. And if I'm doing my job, people will stop and think and maybe go online and say, were there really tunnels under Naples? Were there really, uh, you know, could you really do this type of a software hack? 
And it just gets people guessing. And I think that's what draws people into the books. One thing I like about what you said about the artifacts is that they're not meant to save the person. They're meant to show as evidence for what Jesus did. Why do you think in your world having these artifacts are so important? Well, I think many people today in a postmodern or post-Christian world are led to believe that if they can't prove it, it doesn't exist. And so God is up for that challenge. God will has revealed himself to the world constantly through many different avenues. It's just when people hold their fist up against God and say, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to believe that they end up that separation experience. So the goal was to use the artifacts and the relics to draw people in, if you will. And so we set up a website, allthingsnew.org, in the book. And if you click on that, it'll actually take you to my website, uh, deanbriar.com. So, so we actually make the link in the book an active link for people. And when they go to my website, I'll know that they came from the book. So I'll know that they're asking maybe questions about Jesus, because that was the whole reason, that the relic shown to the world would make people start to say, could it be true? Could, could this be true? And then they would start their journey towards Jesus because of that. This is also something you explore in the first book, because having these artifacts would be helpful to the world. But there is an antagonist and an enemy that wants to destroy the initiative of the sect of the healed. Let's talk about them. Well, we have a media group, and we have a group bigger than the media called the Cleansing Group. And the Cleansing Group was formed right after the 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem, when the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders got together and said, there's a group of people that are different, and they were threatening because they had powers and gifts from this person called Jesus. So the Jewish leaders convinced the Roman leaders to partner with them to exterminate the relatives of these healed people, as they called them. So what happened is that group began to expand down through the centuries, and it included secular, religious, uh, satanic, one-world leader people, all kind of loosely came together and agreed that wherever they would find these people with these special gifts, they would eliminate them in order to keep them from impacting the world in a positive way. One thing I found fascinating about this concept is that when the powers of darkness want to go against God, they do work together. Because you just mentioned about the occult, you mentioned about the satanic groups, the religious groups, the secular groups, everyone working together to overthrow the Lord, which is impossible. But sometimes it seems as if they may have success. And with this cleansing group, there was a very dynamic character that I remember from the first book. And I called her the female Islamic version of James Bond. Tell us about what some of her arc is about. I don't want to spoil it for our listeners who have not read the first book, but she really pops off the page. She is determined. If you have stereotypes about Islamic women, they are completely destroyed by her. And she is very methodical in her objectives. Well, you know, uh, the enemy will use whatever he can in our life to motivate us towards the darkness. And for Akipa, that motivation was revenge. And in that culture, revenge is a big deal. So she was actually groomed by some of the cleansing group people to become this laser-like assassin. 
And they used her through the years to eliminate a lot of the soft that they were hunting. She had no idea she was being used. She was just being trained to get revenge against a group of people that she was told had eliminated her family as well. So that's her motivation. She is an expert in everything spy related and she's ruthless. She's ruthless. They call her the black widow because she just kills with no uh, regard for people. And it's the most amazing thing to watch at the end of book one into book two, what happens to her life as she begins to be that spy around this Christian group of people that she's actually trying to get to and eliminate. And it's just amazing to see how God's grace and mercy and forgiveness can even penetrate the darkest soul. That's one thing I definitely believe is that it can penetrate the darkest soul. So now we have just hints of the first book. And none of these are spoilers because when you read the book, there are so many reveals, twists, and turns that you're going to see. So make sure you go ahead and pick up the first copy or pick up the first book of the SOP Initiative, the Sect of the Hill Chronicles, which is simply called the SOP Initiative on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Now, one thing Peter Young Husband said in his review of the second book, Fallout, he said, some authors succeed in the first book, but fail in the second book because they don't have the same drive that they had for the first book. Unlike you, sir, you definitely broke the mold, according to Peter. It picks up right where the action is. You've expanded it and you answered more questions. And so I want to talk about fallout now, because when you think of fallout, you think of, okay, there's been this massive explosion, some big event happened. And now here comes, for the lack of a better term, the rain from that fallout. So go ahead, put us into the framework of what's going on in the second book of the sec- of the healed. Well, at the end of the first book, the, uh, the, the soft leaders were pushing the button that activated the software that made every laptop, every computer, every server, and every tablet and phone come on at the same time. And the presentation that they have, it lasts about 10 to 12 minutes. You cannot turn it off. You have to, uh, you can't even turn off your system. They've been overridden. And so the button's been pushed. But you get to book two. We use about three or four chapters to build up to that. And in those three or four chapters, we we reacquaint you with the characters. We develop them some more. We introduce some new characters and some new exciting reveals in the relics and artifacts in preparation for the release. And then once the release happens, of course, there is fallout. And a lot of that fallout is manifested in the liberal media time, the media people who have their own agendas for how they want the world to look like. And, of course, showing all of these incredible artifacts threatens that world that they have planned. Um, and, and I guess like there's the, can I share that, that free, because it's not a spoiler because you'll enjoy how I developed it, but I wrote book two in August of 2019. I actually wrote in a worldwide pandemic that the media used to blame on the soft leaders and target them as terrorists because they released this pandemic on the world. I wrote that four months before COVID hit. So there's a prophetic kind of part in the book when you read it, just know that that was written four months before COVID started. But then as you read it, because you've all been through COVID, you'll enjoy how I developed this with no knowledge of COVID. 
how I developed it, and how the media used it against us all. What that's often been a critic of media today is that there are agendas behind the scene. And people who come out of the industry, admittedly people who have a experience and an encounter with Christ, they reveal that, yeah, we only sell what we can do to rile people up. One person who used to work for some media corporation said, we make our titles of our articles angry so we can make you angry. It's all about engagement, not necessarily information. So I don't disagree with the idea that even in your world of the soft, that media will want to do that. And people talk about that now, but there are some people who just won't believe anything. and We can't reach those. But if right. this were to happen in our world, if we were to look and see it, can you imagine the number of worldviews that would be challenged by that? And some people can't handle it. And the cleansing group definitely doesn't want that to happen as well. So how does their role expand in the second book, Fallout? Well, they begin to, once the pandemic happens and the world is now after the assault, now the governments have almost permission from the public opinion against the assault to capture, experiment with, detain, even disappear, even kill and murder the assault. And so the cleansing group explodes in their veracity to chase the soft down. So a lot of book two is all the chase scenes and all of the exciting intrigue in how they use technology to keep themselves safe while they continue to keep the website up and running. Of course, we have all those different IT people that are trying to shut it down and, and people that, that like uh, fictional IT and fictional computer stuff will really enjoy this. And I, I had IT specialists consulting with me. I had a Department of Defense person that I uh, shared this with. And I said, could this happen? And he said, Dean, this is happening right now. Now, that stunned me. And he didn't laugh. He said, this is happening right now. We can control every laptop and phone anytime we want it. And I, I was amazed by this. And he couldn't go into detail. But he said, keep writing what you're writing. Because it, it's fictional, but it's also truth. And, and that was that was stunning to me when I did that. I think there's a thin line between life and fiction. So definitely. And what they often yeah. say is life is stranger than fiction sometimes. Sometimes fiction just reflects life. So, yeah. And what's, what I find amazing about this whole idea is you can see the parallels of modern times in your book. Even though you're using the sect of the healed, you can sect of the healed. You can also take that with different groups that are being persecuted for some reason. You can also yes. see how public opinion has a massive sway over an objective body trying to make good decisions. Because nowadays, public opinion does sway people to act a certain way. I think it's called tyranny of the masses. I believe that's what it's called. And you can see that. And some people, they say, well, you're just saying that because you're uh, being conditioned to say that. I said, no. Do you really want public opinion to decide your fate? That's the interesting thing. You may make a mistake and public opinion wants you to be thrown down on the floor for whatever you've done. So it's very interesting that you would use that. Here it is several months before this massive change in how people react to things that happen. So you can't, and I'm not the only one who, who's aware of that. People, non-Christians and Christians alike are aware mm -hmm. of how pervasive public opinion is, even if public opinion is wrong. 
So yeah, I find that interesting. So the next thing I want to talk about too is with the sect of the healed, Peter mentioned that the characters are sold out for the Lord. And that was evident in even the first book. They are not going to let anyone stop them from their mission, even if they have to give their lives, even if they have to suffer persecution. And I can't remember if this was an element you put in the first book, so forgive me, but do you think it's because of the DNA change in their hearts or in their bodies that make them more prone to be firm in their faith, or is it truly a spiritual component, or is it both? Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show people in the book that there were ordinary, not not just deceptive to healed people, but there were everyday people like uh, the main character, Lindy Batchelor. He is a, a historic professor of uh, Christian and world history, and he's not a soft member. He is a uh, a believer who's struggling with his faith for several different reasons, and God takes him on this journey. And I think it is the understanding that everyday ordinary people can experience the everyday supernatural God in their life in a personal way that is absolutely life-changing and world-changing. You know, we all have our own world, and that's what God calls us to be responsible for. If we think we're responsible for the whole world, it's very overwhelming. But God calls us to be responsible for our world. So it's interesting because you'll see each of these characters, they have their own world that they're responsible for, and then they have this burden for the whole world. And God puts that burden on people that he enables to handle that. God will never give you something that he won't give you the strength to handle. So those soft leaders, of course, have that special calling, which means they are absolutely, completely committed. But the other thing you'll see in the book is um, a lot of the soft members that don't have any super gifts, they're just really smart or really, uh, you know, have some, some gifts. They struggle with sharing their faith because they know what's going to happen. So I, I, I can feel people that feel that right now out in public where they want to they wanna stand up for what they believe is biblically right, but they're being threatened with verbal violence and sometimes physical violence for their faith. But those people say, too, it doesn't matter. I've got to stand up for my faith. So that's what you'll see here. But you'll see how that impacts people that don't have a faith by drawing some of those people to the faith. Because people are looking for something that makes sense, that makes them belong, and that does something good deep down in their heart. And so when they see these people, and even though they're being attacked by every government in the world, they still come back with grace and mercy. It reminds me of the biblical narrative of Naaman after he was healed from leprosy. And he talked to Elijah or Elisha. One of them. I can't echo. They're so close, close today. I know. I think it was Elijah. I think, I think it was Elijah. And yeah. listener, if I got it wrong, you know, pray for me. But he talked to the prophet and he said, if you, if I bow down before the God, I have to, because that's my job. And there are some people who are in that predicament. They're not bowing down in spirit. And I say that figuratively, they're bowing down to protect their families because sometimes it's not just as simple as people want to make it. So I'm glad that you spoke out to them because there are people who want to share their faith, but they have to make a decision at that time until the Lord moves them into a different place. The Lord is very much well aware of what's going on. So I'm glad that you use a very different character to show that. One thing that Peter really commented on was just how 
sold out they were. And he was so blessed by the novel. Uh, in his review of the book, he said, uh, this is, he talks about fallout follows on more intensity, action, and adventure, more spiritual warfare, more tribulation and persecution of the soft, and even more of the power of the gospel and of God's spirit. So much spiritual encouragement from seeing the soft members live out the gospel in the midst of their persecution and tribulation. These members are totally surrendered to God in all aspects of their lives. And then he says this question, isn't that what the gospel encourages us to do? So maybe we don't have to have a DNA marker that gives us super abilities or superpowers or super capabilities or even empathic abilities. Maybe we don't have that, but we have the power of Jesus in our lives that we can fight against the powers of darkness. We can fight against spiritual warfare. It's rather interesting. I was just telling someone, Dean, that if we could actually see spiritual warfare, we would probably run from the room screaming. We would be shocked probably at what goes on and how spirits affect people. So God spares us a lot for us not to see it, but he also makes mm -hmm. us soldiers in this battle too, when he doesn't have to. It's an honor to be in the Lord's army. So I really liked how Peter framed that part of your story. Now, what I want to do, I want listeners to have an opportunity to get a taste of your writing. So I'm going to go ahead and mute myself and read an excerpt. You can set it up however you want, and I'm going to go ahead and mute myself. So this is a couple of paragraphs out of uh, book two, and it's in chapter one. And it goes like this. Sarah Johannesson, the stock leader, had brought the best and brightest soft members to the underground facility near Naples, Italy. The space had been created in the early 1900s and had been improved upon for decades. It was battle-hardened with the ability to withstand a limited nuclear assault. The technology was top-notch, and Edgar was in charge of every screen and computer. His residual talent passed down from his soft relative have left him with the ability to do amazing things with his mind, as well as possessing abilities for computer programming that made Bill Gates look like a junior high school dropout. He was finishing the final software upgrade for his Trojan horse called Awareness. This powerful program would be loaded into every phone, tablet, laptop, and mainframe that was online. Every time a person used his device, the software would spread to the next device, and on and on it would travel as each person connected it with somebody else. Awareness would lie dormant until activated by Edgar. Once activated, it would allow the soft to show the artifacts and relics to the entire plugged-in world, giving proof of God on every screen that would be worth watching. No screen could be turned off once the software was activated. Everyone would hear the same message in their language, no matter where they were. And that is an excerpt from Fallout, book two of the Sect of the Hill Chronicles, which is the continuation of book one, simply called The Soft Initiative. Go ahead and pick up your copy today on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Dean, I have had such a wonderful time talking to you today, as I always do, and I can't wait to just sink my teeth into this world. I know that I really enjoyed the first one. I think after or before we talked last time, I must have gnawed your ear off about an hour <laughs> talking about your book or something like that. 
So I'm just really looking forward to digging into it again. And what I want to do, I want to offer one of our listeners or commenters a free copy of this book that you'll get directly from me. All you have to do is place your name below the link. One person will get one free copy of Fallout, which is Dean's book, and that's going to be a gift from PJC Media. So go ahead, put your name at the bottom of this link, and we will randomly select a winner to get a free copy of Dean's book. Dean, you know this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. And it doesn't matter how long I do this show. I've been doing it now for nine years. Thank the Lord, first of all. But authors need encouragement because there's always new authors coming about with a spark of ingenuity and creativity in their blood, but they haven't written it yet. It's sort of like realizing that you are a member of the soft, but you're not using the gift that God gave you. So go ahead and encourage those aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. And I would do just that. I would do just that. And I think I started writing when I was between jobs and had the time or made the time or recognized the time. So, you know, um, what I've started doing since then is on my phone, I have a notes app. And when thoughts come to me about books, I just put them in the notes app. So you may have thoughts come to you during the day. You may hear a song that reminds you of a cool thought that you'd like to write about. Or you may have an interaction with a child or uh, maybe someone talked to you about their, their love life and it reminds you of that would be a great thought for something. Um, write it down. When God brings thoughts to your minds, write them down. Um, and, and then when you write them down, the next step is make the time. Take the time, plan the time, make the time. Uh, for me, I have to get out of the house because even though we have no children, I've got a beautiful wife and we just love to talk to each other. And if I'm around all day, I don't write. I talk there. So I'll go off to a coffee shop, put my headphones in and put some rainforest music on and just start to prayerfully ask God to show me what he wants me to, to, to write about. And that's the other thing. Ask God to show you what he wants you to write. Because if there's a book or there's a message inside you, you need to share it. You need to be faithful to God and share it. Don't resist it. Don't say you're too busy. Make that commitment to, to do that. Um, and if you get a chance to go to my website, which is just deanbriar.com, you can take a look at the books. You can get a free sample there and read it. Um, and you can also look at my blog because I began to believe, I began to obey God and start writing down blogs. There'd be messages that he brings to me that are relevant to people today that people need to hear. So, you know, that's another way of expressing yourself. But however you do it, write what God tells you and you'll be blessed. I think it's very relevant today. And even though the soft is a fictional thing, there are interconnections of truth as well. Dean, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. As always, I enjoy having you. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thanks so much. God bless you in your ministry to all of us writers and authors. Thank you for what you're doing. And we were talking today to Dean Breyer. He is the author of the book, Fallout, which is book two of the Sect of the Heel Chronicles, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. But if you want to know how it all started, make sure you pick up book one called The Soft Initiative, also available on Amazon.com. One thing I love about Dean is his heart for evangelism, his heart for God. 
even in his works, he is trying to reach so many different people from so many different walks of life, which is embedded in the sect of the Hill Chronicles. That's why you're definitely going to enjoy it. And as always, you have to pick up the pen and write. If you don't do that, what is the gift that is inside of you that someone cannot be blessed by because you aren't writing it? It doesn't matter how many books are out there. Your book isn't out there. Your words aren't out there. So go ahead, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.